We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Welcome back to Mike Morris's Mind Escape. We have episode number, what do we have here tonight? 293. Um, I am going to be reviewing the recent Joe Rogan and uh, Graham Hancock episode that aired uh, a couple days ago. And uh, I was going to do an episode on science and archaeology news and just go through all the recent discoveries, but I'll do that again. I'll do that maybe this weekend or early next week. Um, and I thought since I got a few emails asking me to do this, so I've been going, if you listen to Mind Escape, I've been going back and forth on this. I initially started off as a huge Graham Hancock fan, loved his nonfiction, opened my mind up to a lot of new ideas and things I never even really thought about. And then I started really looking into these things. Um, and I recently wanted to balance out all of the more fringe um, ideas with the, what we know through science and academia. And through that process, um, it's definitely made me a little bit more skeptical, if I'm being honest. Um, but I do think there's real mysteries out there. And we'll talk about all this, uh, things I think that you know, he's getting right, things I think he's, I don't agree with or whatever. I'm not some expert myself. I've just spent years of my life studying and researching this stuff. So um, it's just a passion and interest of mine. Uh, but um, yeah, we'll get into it. Before we get started, uh, I want to give a shout out to all of our recent guests. If you haven't listened to our episode um, on the DMT field guide written by Adam Butler. Go listen to that episode. Um, go listen to our episode with Dr. Michael Masters on Homo Naledi and those um, uh, Nazca, you know, alien mummies we, we discussed. Um, lots of good episodes. I just, the last episode I did, I did with uh, Dr. Gregory Little and uh, P.D. Newman, where we discussed ancient Native American entheogen and psychedelic use. Excellent episode. Um, again, you can find all those below. Click the link tree link down below. Oh, Matthew Palomari. We just did an episode with him where we were talking about, um, you know, clandestine psychedelic uh, production and tales and early stories, which was, I thought, one of my uh, more favorite episodes recently as well. So, Again, go check out our more recent episodes. If you're watching live on YouTube, please check us out on audio platforms. We do have video podcasts on Spotify. We, you know, we're also on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate any sort of uh, nice review and vice versa. If you're listening on an audio platform, we do all of our episodes live on YouTube where there's video, uh, obviously. And uh, we do have some accompanying slides for some of the episodes. We used to do a lot more slideshow heavy um, shows, but... They exist, um, and the best way to support the show is just leave us a nice review, check out our Patreon, uh, and check out our documentary, As Within, So Without, From UFOs to DMT. Um, lots of cool names in there, even ones that Graham brought up uh, in uh, the episode a couple days ago on Rogan. We've had Andrew Gallimore on the show a bunch. He's in our documentary. We've had Rick Strassman on, on the podcast a few times. He's in the documentary. Um, as well as a lot of crossover and stuff like that. So please check out our documentary. Uh, it's free on YouTube, and we do have a director's cut on our Patreon. So, uh, But, yeah, without uh, 
taking up any more time. Let's get into it. Um, I got like four or five emails regarding this. This is something that's been on my mind for a while. Like I said, um, when I got into this, I was, you know, Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, those early Rogan episodes. That stuff really got my mind churning and uh, burning and really wanted to look into all this stuff. So um, that's what I did. <laughs> um, and then through the years, you know, I'm trying to think when I started to... <sighs> I mean, within the last year and a half, I, I Ancient Apocalypse, we did a review on that. You can check that out. I did a review um, with uh, Laura Taboni, uh, who runs Megalith Hunter channel. Check her channel out, Megalith Hunter. It's, it's, it's a really good channel on Malta and the Mediterranean. She does, like, everything now, but um, she lives on Malta, so, you know, she's got a really good grasp on that stuff. Uh, so check out that episode with um, Laura and Sandy and... Um, you know, in that episode, you can hear me. I'm, I'm conflicted. I support, you know, the idea of, of a Graham Hancock, somebody coming in and say, let's look at this or let's reexamine this or whatever. Um, at the same time, you want to get history right, you know? So it's like the romantic ideas of it. I think there, uh, what I'm slowly coming to the conclusion is obviously, um, we all have different ideas, right? We all have different philosophies, the whole point of um, the reason why we do this show is to explore these mysteries and these possibilities and things like that. Um, and the foundations of the show are kind of built on that. Whether I agree with those same thoughts or not now um, is a different story. I, I think I've made myself clear on that. Like I said, there's real mysteries out there. I don't think a lot of the stuff that people are saying is mysteries that they actually just haven't really looked into um, what radiocarbon date, like, yeah, you can't radiocarbon date rock, but you can radiocarbon date other things. So there is things that people claim we don't know, or there's no possible way. Yeah, there is. We can, you know, go through garbage or, you know, for instance, uh, scientist Avi Loeb, who we've had on the show before, he's famous for calling a muamua possibly some sort of alien you know spaceship or debris or something like that so his idea of looking for aliens would be to find their garbage or their waste or their leftovers and that's exactly what most archaeologists do when they're trying to piece together the past because those the the, the you know those are the substances and you know the biological uh, and decayed organisms and things like that um that's how we find out what's going on um and there's more to it obviously but um, I don't like when people say we have no idea because we obviously do have an idea. Um, so again, I'm conflicted. I, I like being open-minded. I don't, I don't like the dogma either way. So this is what we'll get into here. So, um, I mentioned, um, I'm not on any team. Okay. I'm on, on my own Island. Mind escape is its own thing. I don't have any allegiances to the fringe. I don't have any allegiances to, uh, academia, when we first started the podcast six years ago, or just about six years ago, um, I was very much into a spiritual awakening at the time. And I had a lot of like woo energy, uh, going at the time, which by the way, <laughs> there's a certain amount of, of a level of ignorance is bliss to that. Um, and if you can capture that in a way that's not affecting anybody else, that can be a powerful thing. Um, so, so there, so I don't have any allegiances. My only allegiance is to, you know, um, the truth, uh, or what I think is the truth or the best possible version currently, because we all know that that's going to continuously change. So, uh, upon further thinking and meditations and just really pondering on it, uh, I think I've come to the conclusion that I've been a little bit too hard on Graham Hancock in, in the last few months and some of the comments and stuff like that. Again, I've never really attacked him personally or anything like that. I appreciate his work, uh, but I have been very skeptical because he doesn't really offer a lot of physical evidence. And it's a lot of when you're not actually getting, um, it's not like he's going through these different layers and finding things, you know, so it's not like he's getting his hands dirty. So, um, he's kind of got like the eagle eye view of this thing. He's got like the bird's eye view where he's able to kind of pick, you know, selective cases and things like that. Um, you know, things that fit 
the mystery profile, if you will. Um, good, bad, whatever, that's just what it is. You know, he's not an archaeologist, so he has the luxury to have different opinions and different points of view without going through the scientific method. So whether you like that or not, you have to decide, you know, like, are you going to check this out knowing that everything he says is 100% fact science, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not the case. But then you just got to accept that that's what it is. So, um, so yeah, so I kind of went from one of his biggest fans to kind of skeptical. I think I've been too hard lately. Hmm. Um, I realize my frustrations aren't even with him, but more like dumb people on the internet saying dumb things. You know, we all know the people that watch one video and think they know everything or they've got Dunning-Kruger or whatever. Um, so I think that that's kind of irritating, but you have that with like all communities too. So that's just, just another thing. Um, yeah, I mean, my my main issue, and this is the problem I had with ancient apocalypse is that it's this constant barrage on archaeology and i will say this i like i said i know dogmatic scientists but i also we've had cool scientists on the show too there's got to be cool archaeologists out there i've talked to them on reddit i've talked to them on forums they're like oh graham hancock you know inspired me to get into this but now i realize there's so much more and there's a lot it's a lot more complex than that and it's not as easy as saying this is way older and blah 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 so He's inspiring people that are now kind of doing the same thing I'm doing, which are saying, I don't agree with most of what he's saying, but there's no reason to be like, oh, screw this guy. We can't listen to him at all, you know? So, um, again, you have to accept it for what it is. He's not, he's an author. He's a, he's an orator. He's not a, um, you know, he's not an archaeologist. So this episode that I'm about to talk about here in a minute, um, was supposed to be the debate episode between Graham Hancock and Flint Dibble. If you don't know who Flint Dibble is, he's an archaeologist. I don't know what, Cardiff University or somewhere. Um, and he recently came down with, I, I guess he's going through chemo treatment or something like that. So they didn't do the episode that they the way that they were going to. So just Graham went on the show by himself. Um so again, the main issue I have with Graham is this constant barrage. And I, I, I understand why, like he's explained it before. Like he's been incredibly uh, frustrated. It's, you know, he's saying that he's being attacked or told he's wrong with, you know, he'll never be validated by these people. Um, and then, you know, he creates this rhetoric where, um, you know, they've got this, this timeline to protect or their books to protect, or, you know, it's, it can be said about him too. Like that's a, that can go either way. Like, I don't like that argument. That's not a good, he should just present his ideas. He did. Okay. So let me say this early, earlier, if you watch the Rogan episodes, he does get mad or whatever. And they've had different debates on before where they had like Michael Shermer and stuff like that. But, um, I think that when you're constantly employing that rhetoric, I think at some point it's just going to lose its steam because people will be like, what? Because there'll be enough people like looking into these things where they'll be like, okay, this is, what's the point of this? Um, present the ideas without the rhetoric. So if that's my critique to him or my stop talking about archaeologists and how they're trying to silence you or you're wrong or blah, blah, blah. Just present your ideas, present your evidence, present your facts. Just stop playing the blame game and and just do that that way you know like that's one way i would overcome that and again i'm not saying i don't understand what he's saying from his perspective i do uh but there's another perspective too and these people you know again i'm not talking about the dogmatic people so i think it would be important for him to say instead of saying archaeologists say uh john hoops uh flint dibble you know mianu and whoever are super critical of my work and those are you know calling out the actual people that have been critical of his work as opposed to saying an entire body of science or humanity is uh is is either wrong or out to get me so i think that's the biggest problem i have uh with since the ancient apocalypse and it just seems like it's more and more and more about the rhetoric and less and less and less about the ideas and the mystery and the, the you know the esoteric stuff so that's my point of view on that um the only other issue I have with him is he's been giving uh, Bright Insight Jimmy a megaphone. I don't care if this is an unpopular idea. I, that that dude's just, I'm not going to say, 
uh, anything too crazy, but I'll just say if you think that that dude's right or you think the Eye of the Sahara is Atlantis or you think, you know, whatever, okay. I won't, I won't, I don't have to say anything else because it's just people that are in the know are in the know. If you can either be, you know, a, a dumb person being collected on YouTube as a, as a number, or you can actually do your research and know what's up. So it takes two seconds to find out what the eye of the Sahara actually is from, um, actual geologists. So, okay. Um, and I'll say this. Because I think that this applies to what we're talking about in terms of Graham Hancock and should he be listened to or whatever. This is a famous Aristotle quote. It is, uh, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Now, I try and hold that uh, myself. It gets tough at times. It's not easy. There's people that will say things that are just completely no tether to reality. Um and that happens and it'll frustrate you and whatever, but being able to have a conversation with somebody, you know, if you're an archeologist, you should sit down with Graham Hancock and have a conversation with them and, and don't jump to conclusions or, you know, judge a book by its cover. Just have a conversation with them. I, you know, any, anytime you sit down with anybody face to face or in person, um, you, chances are you're, you're going to get along more likely than you would, getting like a fight or, you know, some sort of heated debate. I mean, I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but it just seems like usually people are more personable and willing to um, bend a little on each each of their sides a little to kind of come to a, a meeting of minds, if you will. Um, so, yeah, so those are my thoughts on that. Um, now... Um, <laughs> Now here I kind of I, I currently find myself in no man's land alone without even Maurice and I'm stuck between the fringe and the mainstream and yet I'm here we're talking we're philosophizing so let's do this. Okay. So the 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 episode starts out with a little banter and then Graham immediately starts talking or attacking archaeologists and archaeology um, and kind of picks up where ancient apocalypse starts off. And again that's his he can do whatever he wants whatever i'm just my critique of that would be drop that whole rhetoric and shtick and just stick to fact people want to know about you know go back to the type they want to know about whatever connections you found or made you know you you have the the ability to have look at things through a bird's eye view that a normal archaeologist wouldn't and now you have enough fans where i'm sure you have access to resources and things lidar and people and connections like use that stop worrying about what these you know you'll never be validated by those people if you're not within that thing like if you didn't go to school to become an archaeologist they're never going to validate you you'd have to do something insane um to get that sort of and even then you're going to have those people being jealous and want to like you know get rid of you kind of a thing so i don't know um so he he claims so we've talked about this at the beginning of the review of ancient apocalypse. Now, I don't think, obviously, I don't think Graham's racist at all. I think that that's a stupid argument. Um, but you have the academics who will point to anybody discussing ancient aliens or ancient mysteries and blah, 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 blah. And they'll say it's racist because it takes away from the ingenuity of these, you know, uh, ancient people or whatever cultures. Um, I disagree with that from talking with a lot of people. I found that people just want mystery. I don't think they think, I think a lot of these people think the indigenous people did have this technology or were advanced that the people that believe in these ideas. Um, so I don't know where that thing comes from, but he mentions in the episode, um, he claims that he, he believes that they think he's racist because he wrote in fingerprints of the gods that Viracocha and Quetzalcoatl was kind of this like long bearded, long hair, white guy traveler, that brought civilization to these ancient cultures. Um, and he's saying that the archaeologists say that the Spanish made up all those aspects of the story, which I'm sure that that's obviously true uh, to some degree, um, which specific myths and whatever. Again, we have at no point in this episode was there really specifics brought up with this kind of stuff. Like it would have been nice for him to be like, here's proof why I think 
Viracocha was a white dude, or here's proof why I think Quetzalcoatl was a, a white dude that they thought was white. And, and this, see, this text was pre-Columbian or pre, you know, Spanish or whatever. Like that's the kind of stuff I would be looking for going forward um, to validate for, you know, mystery or whatever, or even more, you know, like here's an example. So Easter Island, um, we know that there's been different phases on Easter Island. Um, and we've done, I've done a series on Easter Island where I covered the mainstream, the fringe and everything in the middle. So there is, um, this perception, um, and you know, he's, he was mentioning Rongo Rongo and how nobody can read it. And as far as I can tell that that's true. Um, so that is a true claim. And maybe I'm wrong if somebody has access to some sort of translations or whatever, but if you look at Easter Island, um, through the, the different phases, I mean, you know, Robert Schock will say, oh, it's 12,000 years old. And, and, you know, Graham's trying to, to hint at it being way older. Um, there is weird anomalies like the basalt Moai. Where did the basalt come from? There's possibly a basalt quarry on the uh, outer shore uh, that Jacques Cousteau might have found back in the day. Um, so there's stuff like that. But for instance, you know, we're talking about how do we know what we know? Well, like an evidence of um, if you look at Ahu Vinapu on Easter Island, which is an Ahu that has, uh, it's one of the oldest Ahu on the island, uh, Thor Heyerdahl mentions that he thinks that it looks very similar to Sacsayhuaman in South America. So if you look at the genetics of the Rapa Nui people, they've recently found a small percentage of South American DNA that's pre-Columbian. So that means that people were getting around pre, you know, this, so this idea that people couldn't get around or whatever, that's, I, I, that I don't, I think people were getting around. Thor Heyerdahl proved you could just build a raft using indigenous materials on the coast of Chile and float all the way to uh, Easter Island or the Micronesian Islands, whatever. So, um, so yeah, so that's an example. Uh, but again, I would like to see the evidence, you know, for it. And, you know, Coach is weird. It translates to foam of the sea, uh, which um, one thing that struck me is knowing a lot about Greek, uh, Greek, ancient Greek stuff and mythology is, I believe Aphrodite, and I'd have to look this up again, but I believe Aphrodite also translates to foam of the sea. So, I don't know. Take that for what you will. All right. <clears throat> then he goes on to talk about the king's lists, and he's talking about how, um, you know, they go back, all. some of them go back 30,000 years or whatever. You have the Sumerian king's list and the Egyptian king's list, and... He's saying that um, it's convenient, like the archaeologists start using them when, like, we can verify that the kings, those actual kings lived or whatever. So, I mean, that's not a bad point. Like, so what? They incorporated mythology with an actual king's list or so they, they included, like, some sort of mythological history with an actual... Um, you know, oral or written tradition. I don't know. I mean, that's that's where I would have to see, like, he, we need more detail here before we can really get into that. Um, he then starts to go into all, all the Atlanta stuff and Plato and the talking points. I've talked about Atlantis so many times on the show. Um, I've read all of Plato's dialogues many times, and where we've had Randall Carlson on, who studied it, We've had all these different people on to discuss it. I don't believe... I believe Atlantis is the... How do I say this? I believe Atlantis is not a physical, real place, but it's like, you know, the allegory of the cave? Um, how the allegory of the cave represents our understanding of metaphysics and the possibility of paradigm shifts and things beyond. I think that that's what Atlantis represents for lost civilization and cultures and like human um you know pride or um you know just thinking that nothing can happen something like that like i just think that atlantis represents it's 
it's basically to me the way I look at it is the allegory of the cave, but for civilizations and societies and how they can easily fall uh, overnight for rather be cataclysms or political unrest to whatever it may be. Um, and here's the other thing, pool people are like, Oh, well, you know, Plato never, you know, those were all real or whatever. First of all, if you know any, I've read, again, I've read Plato's dialogues, all of them, all the way through many times. He, most of them are through Socrates. So he's right. Plato's writing as Socrates. Socrates never wrote anything down. He didn't believe in the written word. Um, he believed it kind of bastardized ideas or, you know, becomes mistranslated. So um, Plato wrote the dialogues as Socrates. And then if you look at the, the dialogues, there's a lot of historical famous people, Protagoras, you know, all of these different Euthydemus, all these different people that didn't always live at the same times, having these weird conversations with each other, dinner parties, all sorts of things. So while maybe these were real interactions or maybe it's just like Plato took Socrates and then forced him into a, a situation where he then played out how it would play out in his own mind, knowing what he knows about everybody historically, who knows what the hell exactly went down. But I do know this, you know, there's a lot of, you know, pointing to, you know, oh, look, you know, Atlantis and the, the Critias and the, and the Timaeus. First of all, the Critias was never finished. There was supposed to be a trilogy. Um, what was the third? Oh, so let me hold on. Let me look. So there's the there's the the Timaeus and the Critias. Oh, Hippocrates uh, was supposed to be um, the third one, which was never written. Uh, but the Critias is isn't finished. So again, like <laughs> I don't hear people talking about this stuff. I hear cherry picking of different dialogues. And stuff, and again, fun, very fun to speculate and, and do all that stuff. But you can't claim truth and get in fights with people and have debates and then not know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> like, that's just not how that works. Um, I mean, I guess you could do it. You're wasting everybody's time, though. Um, okay, so there's that. So they're talking about all the, you know, uh, Atlantis and Plato and. You know, he goes through the whole spiel about how um, Solon, who was Plato's distant relative three generations back, went to Sace, Egypt, um, talked to a priest named Sankis. Uh, he was given the knowledge. So initially, the, the supposedly the story of Atlantis comes from ancient Egypt um, and then passed down to Solon. Pa Solon passes it down three generations to Plato. Um, and again, this all supposedly happened thousands of years ago without any mistranslations. Um, and again, I mean, we know how things get, you know, tr mistranslated day to day. Look at what's going on in the world right now. You can't even watch the news without thinking, is this real or not? You know, um, so back then it was probably way worse, um, I don't know. I, I just, again, I get, I get frustrated thinking about this because it's like, this is the basis of everybody's idea of Atlantis. I just wish people read Plato's dialogues, maybe read the Republic, maybe read Timaeus, maybe read Critias, you know, instead of just watching a couple videos. And even if you watch a video where somebody's talking about it, it's like, how do you know that they didn't source or cherry pick that stuff themselves? You have to look at everything. Okay. My other question for this stuff would be, this is something I mentioned to a couple people. How come Joe is, hasn't ever had a real archaeologist on to discover, to discuss Egypt or Sumer or anything like that in general? He's never had anybody on um, like that. He's never. He, I'm trying to think. So he had Robert Schock on, who's a geologist. Uh, is famous for dating the sphinx who's the sphinx sphinxies over over my shoulder right now but he thinks old sphinxies really old uh and tried to redate it uh, based on the erosion patterns around the base we'll talk about that in a minute but um rogan's had him on i'm trying to think who else he's had john anthony west who wasn't he was like a playwright he, you know, he was just interested that took people on um you know like symbolist tours um 
yeah, I mean, if somebody, if you, if anybody knows if he's had an, or an actual archaeologist on, I'd like to watch that episode because I don't think I've ever seen one, which is kind of unusual. It's like somebody's so fascinated with history, but then only has on, you know, the most sensational people that aren't archaeologists. I don't know. And he did a whole thing last year about how he was like, oh, I'm going to have experts from both sides on and 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 we're really in and again i know how hard this thing is i run a podcast it's hard to get people's times lined up um you know having last actually last episode was the two time first time we ever had two guest guests like we've had two friends of the show on it at once but you know pd newman and dr greg little that was the first time we had two actual guests on at the same time and that's hard to do um so i get it but at the same time it's like you're the biggest dude in the world. You're flying people in, putting them up. Get a couple archaeologists in here. Let's just see what they have to say. Maybe they're cool. Maybe they're like, yeah, there's something to this. You know, maybe they're not. Maybe they won't. Maybe there'll be a debate. I'd rather see a debate than have Grandma Hancock come on one more time and just repeat the same talking points. Um, you know what I'm saying? Not because I want to see anybody fail or win, but because it's just more entertaining to listen to and to watch, and it, it's thought provoking. So. Um, okay. So then let's see here. Um, then they go into talking about Terra Preta, which is the Mayan, um, soil, uh, that was, that they created, uh, to terraform the jungle and create crops and stuff. And they were talking about, you know, why is it so special? And Graham was speculating it could be pottery and the microbes and all the stuff and pottery is mixed in with this. And, um, so that's interesting. I don't know. I, I obviously know what it is and I've heard it talked about before, but I would like to see a more in-depth conversation on just that as well. Um, if you can get an expert on, um, let's see here. Then they go to talking about like LIDAR and all these sites that they're finding all over the, um, the Amazon and Central America. And he brings up something called Fazenda Parana, Parana something like that. Excuse me. Um, and it's like these square structures, uh, that were found by LIDAR and Graham Hancock said he spoke to some of the locals and they claim that, you know, those have been used for shamanism. So again, I don't know. Um, they looked like definite structures or previous structures, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting for sure. Um, you know, LIDAR is becoming more accessible. You know, you can, there's, a, it's compact now. You can do it with drones and all sorts of stuff. So I know Maurice is a big fan of his drone work. Maybe we can get Maurice out there with some LIDAR too. Put this guy to work. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, so he's talking about that, that's that thing in the jungle. And then, Let's see here. Then they move on. They start talking about that eight-kilometer-long rock painting on that wall, if you've seen it, uh, Sarah de Lindosa. Um, and, you know, then they brought up – they started talking about – because Joe said that it looked primitive. I think that's from, like, 11,000 years ago, the cave paintings. I'd have to look up the date again. But he's talking about how it looks so primitive, but then they talk about Le Show Cave in France, which is 35,000 years ago. It was featured in Cave of Dreams that, um, uh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name right now. Grizzly Bear Man. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Oh. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Anyways. Um, so yeah, so he, they're talking about how these 11,000-year-old glyphs in the jungle look really, like, sloppy compared to this beautiful cave art from 35,000 years ago, which is an interesting point. Like, what made somebody, you know, a great artist? And why were there people 35, 30, 35,000 years ago 
making these unbelievable cave paintings where you know was it is it a situation of maybe those people had more time maybe there was more investment from their culture into the the art you know or whatever maybe um yeah i have no idea it's something to look into though definitely that is a good question uh and i think that they should have spent more time on that to be honest with you um let's see here oh then they were talking about um old sphinxy over my shoulder here and how you know graham uh graham and they were talking about how, like how the uh sahara you know used to be a, a uh, rainforest long time ago and they're talking about how the giza plateau at some point was very fertile and you know they're talking 30,000 years ago and john anthony west and you know this thing's been carved up and it's uh the proportions are way off and Look, there's no doubt about it. Looking at the Sphinx, the proportions are off. Um, the different le levels of shoal, um, you know, break it, they kind of angle. If you look at like a diagram of the rock that makes up the Sphinx, it kind of goes, cuts in in an angle at the different levels of shoal. Um, and to be honest with you, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on. Obviously, it does look disproportionate for for a civilization that prided itself on you know symmetry and all these different things um you would expect something a little bit more together but maybe it started to fall apart you know that's been redone a bunch of times throughout history who knows who knows what happened um you know there is speculation that at one point it was a jackal which would make sense because uh you know the jackal was seen as you know connected to the dead and um, you know, it was like kind of like a around graves and grave robbing type of stuff. Um, actual jackals. Um, so yeah, so I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that. Obviously that's been talked about a lot, the whole head and what does it mean? Was it a different Pharaoh before? And then they're like, all right, screw this guy. We got to carve chisel it down into this other dude, um, or something else. You know, an animal. Graham Hancock speculated in his uh, nonfiction that could be connected to, could have been a lion. And at one point it was Leo, you know, the whole Orion correlation theory that um, 10,500 years ago it was facing, you know, Leo and, you know, it was a lion at the time and blah, blah, blah. So again, where's the evidence? I'm not saying you're wrong. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? All right, then they go into talking about um, 3D relief carvings at Gobekli Tepe. We've talked about Gobekli Tepe at nauseum on the show. I've done slideshow episodes. If you go back and watch our Mysteries of Metaphysics, I forget which episode it is, but our Mysteries of Metaphysics series, there's an episode where I do a whole slideshow presentation and go through all the T-pillars and symbolism Anyways, they bring up the what's called the predator pillar, uh, which has this predator, which was most, oh, excuse me, most likely a, uh, you know, a lion or a leopard. And, uh, you know, they were commenting on how, how hard it is to relief carve, which would mean to carve everything away except for that 3D figure. If you look at the thumbnail when I'm done with this episode, I'll put the... I'll put the th 3D get, uh, glyph, or 3D glyph, I'll put the 3D um, uh, predator um, picture on the thumbnail so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, so they talk about that for a while. Um, let's see here. Um, but yeah, we've done a ton of episodes on Gobekli Tepe. Uh, you know, Obviously, I think this is the one that is very mysterious and confuses a lot of people. And from just everything I've seen, this is just, if you're interested in mysteries, this is great. Because not only is there a bunch of other sites in that area, in that region, that are similar, like Karan Tepe and other um, sites that are, again, that they had just haven't excavated, um, there's going to be more. Uh, so that's awesome. Now, is there going to be more like that 
elsewhere too like will we find older weirder structures other places in the world as well i don't know i mean that's the cradle of civilization so maybe that was the very you know dawn or beginning of it um but you know who knows we'll see um i <laughs> i have a hard time you know looking at Gobekli Tepe and thinking like super advanced technology. Like, like I think it's interesting in the sense that like before the archeological record starts at like 5,000 BC or those French graves or Malta megaliths, whatever, again, check out uh, Laura megalith hunter. She does a great channel, but um, I have a, so that was the earliest before, and then they have Gobekli Tepe. So now this thing's 7,000 years older, um, showing maybe not as advanced, but, you know, still pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, were they hunter-gatherers? Who were they? I don't know. Um, I would say that obviously archaeologists think that they're hunter-gatherers. Uh, but they didn't think that the site even existed before. It was passed over in the 60s and then uh, again later on. And then Klaus Schmidt comes along and, and starts, you know, making history here. So uh, I think it was discovered in 94, 95, something like that. Um, I mean, it was discovered before that, but they didn't know what they were looking at. Um, I have a proposal. So watching this episode, I thought as somebody kind of in the middle, like, yes, I can see I like some of the fringe stuff, some of the open-minded ideas and stuff like that. But I also like science and I like being like, oh, how did we get here? Oh, we know this because of this. This makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. But then you have dogmatic people on both sides. You have dogmatic fringe people that don't want to listen to anything that the mainstream has to say because they think it's corrupt and blah, 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 because of rhetoric. And then you have, you know, people from academic that are, either scared because they know people think that or that maybe they're just not good at communicating at all. Well, no offense, but there's a lot of scientists that have communication problems. Um, and then on top of that, uh, they're not really entertaining at presenting their own ideas. So again, these are all different problems that we should all try and overcome. But let me make a proposal. Um, I propose that the fringe in academia come together and maybe the fringe can listen to archaeologists about what physical evidence that they found about these different sites um, and either be verified or studied by these fringe researchers. Um, and then, you know, or take some of these fringe researchers who have done their homework that have their own ideas and theories and whatever, and then bring in the spirituality or the metaphysics and, and things that they found. Because here's, the, here's what I'll say. Is we could say oh, this fringe thing or this guy or whatever, or this lady has this book or whatever the case may be. I find it, there's not a lot of evidence on the fringe side of things. And I've been doing this show now for six years. There's not a lot of physical evidence. That's why we talk about metaphysics and metaphysical things, because a lot of that stuff is beyond the scope of how this world works from what we know day to day. So that being the case, I think that... Again, maybe we marry, we take it back old school and marry heaven and earth, science and religion, not religion, science and spirituality. Religion's giving everybody a tough time out there. Hot take. If your religion is telling you to do some crazy, you know, fucked up shit, maybe it's time to uh, rethink what you're doing out there. But, Okay. Let's see here. So yeah, so let's get them together. Let's, the fringe people, let's have an open mind. Let's listen to, you know, what the archaeologists have to say. Maybe they have things, again, I've watched plenty of videos. I've read plenty of books where it's like, before going in, it was a complete mystery. And then I can see through the process of them explaining how they arrived at what they arrived at and why that probably is the most reasonable explanation for that. Now, that's to say that, that exist that doesn't exist for everything. There are unexplainable things, and there are things that are not easily explainable. So again, we have to walk that line, in my opinion, between what's a true mystery and then what are we just being ignorant or are we putting our, you know, burying our heads in the sand on this one? You know, we have to figure that out. Okay. So I don't know. 
is that a great proposal or is it bad? Is it, you know, like I want to bring people together. I'm sick of this. Oh, the, just these fringe researchers or the, the, the academics being like, Oh, can you believe that? You know, like this back and forth shit's stupid. And we're all just people, you know, there's plenty of intelligent people on both sides. So, okay. And then moving on, (laughs) Uh, at this point, Graham then continues to attack archaeologists, and as he does occasionally throughout the show, and he does throw in a few compliments, which I find weird. It's like, I'm going to attack these people and use this rhetoric, but then I'm also going to you know, compliment some of them. I think he mentions a woman from England who says she was an archaeologist, says, oh, I love your work, and you inspired me, or something like that. And that's cool, but that's what I'm saying. That exists, too. Not every single one of these people is out to get you or whatever, so... Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, I know he's obviously super frustrated, you know, I'm sure he's had plenty of critiques of his books and look, there's nothing more that you want if you're passionate about something or passionate about an idea or a topic is to then be validated. And the most validation you could get from something like this is to have like some of the smartest people on these topics be like, yeah this is true or this is whatever it is. Uh, And when you don't have that, I mean, I guess that's why maybe he feels like he's building up his own support then. Again, I don't know what the, the, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the the constant barrage is, but you only need to mention it like once. I mean, unless you're really trying to embed it, which maybe he is. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, and then he, they move on and starts to kind of tail away from the ancient stuff. Uh, Graham mentions SSRIs. What does he say? He says they didn't work well for him. And, um, he's like, but if you want to take them, you know, go ahead. You know, kind of a thing. Obviously he's very into plant medicine and psychedelics, which I am too. I'm also about options. And I know people that SSRIs have helped. They've helped me. And that's not to say that, you know, they're perfect or they move you completely far up and down the Hamilton scale because we know that that's not the case. But depends on where you're at in your life, depends on what you need. Um, people have different things, you know, like, so they released that paper earlier this year about how uh, they know that, um, you know, SSRIs have very little, uh, or they know depression isn't caused by a serotonin imbalance. Uh, was kind of what the paper was hinting at. Um, and if that's the case, well, then what, what other mechanisms are working here? Like, what are we doing? And um, that's why they're looking at psychedelics, because psych- psychedelics play off of the 5-HT2A receptor, which is our serotin- uh, serotonergic receptors, um, and, you know, give us that maybe what we're missing, a little bit of home, if that makes sense. Um, he then goes on to talk about how... He says that he's not scared of death. Uh, He thinks it's only the beginning. He talks about his near-death experience when he was younger and then his work through ayahuasca and DMT and how he kind of worked through all that. Um, He doesn't think that this world or any of this is an accident, and I think I can agree with him on that. I don't believe that it's an accident either. I don't know what's going on, but I don't think it's an accident. So that's some common ground. Um... He goes back into the antidepressant. He says, maybe they don't work or maybe they just didn't work for me, something along those lines. Uh, then he's, then him and Joe start talking about uh, legalizing all drugs and drug use and drug addiction. Uh, and, okay, so now at this point, again, they're kind of getting away from the ancient stuff. They get into the DMT stuff. So they switch over to DMT talk Um Graham starts talking about how he suffers from migraines and then how he's microdosing to help with that. Um, I can speak to that personally. Uh, In the past, I've had real bad migraines my whole life. Like everybody in my life knows that I get terrible migraines. Like a terrible migraine is, (laughs) I mean, there's kind of, it's hard to explain, but there's really not many things that can put me down like that, but it's pretty brutal. Oh, (laughs) All right, let me finish this. Okay, so so migraine. So in hospitals, I was watching an episode of House. I don't know if you've ever heard of the show House, but in like an episode like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, 
House talks about how um, some hospitals carry psilocybin because it helps break up cluster headaches, and, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. And now we're seeing that there is a lot of scientific evidence to, uh, to so if you microdose um, psilocybin or whatever, I've used that in the past and it's been tremendously helpful um, to me, but to each their own. I don't recommend anybody just use anything. You talk to a doctor or whatever. In some places it's decriminalized and legal and in other places it's definitely not. So, um, but yeah, so there is something to that. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, I won't show anybody anything, but, and I don't know if, if, if anybody who's listening to this has had a similar experience, I'd like to know. Um, so three weeks ago, uh, they were redoing the roof on my house. Um, and that day, the next day I woke up with two like red spots on my leg and, um, I'm like, what the, like this one like hurt. It was like, I was like, what is this? So then I realized, okay, I got either bit or stung by something. Um, I, it looked like a bad mosquito bite and then it got like a red ring around it. I've been bitten by ticks. I've had the, the bullseye rash before I've had to take, um, uh, antibiotics for it and stuff. So I know what's what it was. This wasn't that, I don't know what this was. So anyways, uh, a couple weeks go by and the, my leg like balloons up and this thing starts to swell. The wound starts to look like walking dead. I'm talking like necrosis, like, like barf. Look at my leg. Like it's like brutal. Like, so then I'm thinking, did I get bit by a brown recluse, which they're not native to Michigan, but they have been found here. Um, and we came from Chicago, which they are found there. You know, we just moved back to Michigan. They were redoing a roof. What did I get bit? There's only two venomous spiders in Michigan, brown recluse and black widow spider. So I don't know what bit me, but I've been on antibiotics. That's why I didn't do a show for uh, till now. It was last week. So, um, yeah, actually, I'm a dumbass, too. So that's why I'm bringing this up. If you get bitten by something and it doesn't look good, get it go right away. I didn't know. I had an infection. I had cellulitis on it. I had necrosis. You need to get that looked at. So um that's my little PSA on that. Again, I don't want to show anybody. I could pull up a picture right now and I'd be like, whoa, but like if you look at brown recluse spider bites and the necrosis that happens, it's pretty brutal. Again, I'm not hundred percent that that's what it was. I could have had, I guess, maybe it was a wolf spider, maybe it was a sack spider, and then it was just a bad reaction. I don't know. But whatever it was, I've been camping all over this country. I've been hiking, I've been everywhere i've never had any kind of bite like this insane insane maybe i'll post a picture uh, time lapse one day but moving back on so they're talking about dmt then they go into uh john dean who if you don't know who that is uh was working on the dmt stuff at ann arbor i believe he's in john chavez if you um if you've seen the documentary DMT Quest, I, re- I recommend you do if you haven't. Uh, John Chavez, who's been on the show, made that. And uh, he's close with John Dean. And um, John Dean is going to do the UC San Diego um, DMT um, extended stay trips. Uh, Graham kept bringing up this guy, Eugene Jong, I believe is his name, who's been funding um a lot of these interesting studies and stuff like that, which is good. Look, we need funding, especially for these mysteries. If we're going to continue, excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of my water here real quick. It's tough talking, talking alone the whole time by yourself. But, um, so yeah, this dude, Eugene Jung supposedly is funding all these cool studies, but and then uh, Graham mentions Nunotics, uh Rick Strassman, Andrew Gallimore. Um, and then he offers Joe, you know, a free admission to this experiment. Uh, you know, who knows? Let's see. Do it, Joe. You know, I would do it. I, 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 I give myself to science. Um, let's see here. So, yeah, so shout out to Andrew Gallimore, been on the show in our documentary. Uh, Rick Strassman, been on the show in our documentary. 
Uh, and by the way, I have reached out to Graham, sent them emails and stuff in the past to get him on the show. Never gotten a response. Um, so I don't know. Um, let's see here. So yeah, I mentioned all that, the stuff, the John Dean. Um, oh, then they talk about like Icaros and ayahuasca. They start talking a little bit about the war on drugs. Um, and then they go into fr- like free random thought talk where they're talking about like AI and some other stuff. Um, Graham starts talking about how he doesn't really have a cell phone. And when he does, he only uses it for social media posts. Um, he doesn't really want to know how to use one. That's cool. I mean, I'm all about that. Um, so that's pretty much the episode. I mean, there's obviously more to it, but you know, people wanted to know where I stood given recently. And again, I've reconsidered my position. I'm not out here. I'm not going to attack anybody. Not that I even really attacked him or anything. I was just critical of, you know, his ancient apocalypse. Well, most of the episodes, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Like I said, you have to decide. It's like, if you want to be entertained, it's definitely entertaining. If you're looking for truth, I, I don't know how you can only look at just what he's putting on and be like, that's truth <laughs> because there's a whole archeological record. And if you don't know what they're saying and they're the ones that are in the dirt measuring things, dates, timelines, putting pottery together, the whole thing, if you don't know what they're saying, how do you know if he's right or wrong? Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you can only discern truth when you're given the correct amount of data. And even then, there's no, you'll never arrive at that full truth. So the more data you have, the more closer to truth you get. And if you're not using the data or you're ignorant to it, then you're not going to get close to the truth. But that's fine. That might be your your life. That You might not be, you know, so set on that. I am. I'm an animal about it. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I need to figure this thing out. And sometimes I get caught up and sometimes I get pissed off and sometimes I get frustrated. And I'll tell you what. So between the UFO stuff and this alternative archaeology stuff, I was very let down this year. Um, Maybe, but that was me. I think I've read too much. I think I've seen too much. I think I've talked to too many people. I think that I have differences of opinions and that doesn't make them wrong or them bad. It just means that I feel like I've maybe outgrown some of those ideas or I need to move on to other things or something. I don't know, you know, like, so like that was my own assessment of this. And so instead of being super critical of other people like Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan, he's going to do Joe Rogan every show. That's what he does. He asks the same questions. He brings up the same things. Um, you know, Graham, same thing. Every time he comes on, they talk about the same things, the same talking points, the same stuff. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm looking for more. So where do I go now? You know, like that's kind of where I'm at. Like I've seen all, I've read all of his nonfiction. I've seen all of his interviews. I've, I've, I watched Joe Rogan. I know all of his guests. I know all of his talking points. Like where, where do we go from here? Is, is it in an, once we've read all the science too, what do we do then? Cause that's kind of where I'm looking to go. Like, once I know all the fringe and what science has to say, you know, then you can kind of figure out what's what. But then from there, where do you go? Where's the next adventure? Where's the next truth? You know, I guess. And that's kind of where I want to go. I want to take it to that next level. I want to see what's beyond the veil. Um, not just stop right before you, you get to it and hope somebody else does the work. I want to put in the work. I want to do it. Um and I don't want to take people's word for it. I want to experience it. I want that gnosis. So, again, I thought that uh, I just wanted to get an episode in. A few people, you know, uh, emailed me about it, texted me. I was talking with some people. Um, I'm just trying to be. I'm just trying to be the best version of me. And there's gonna be times where I'm critical of people. And you, if you're a listener. And I, you know, you like me because I liked this person or you like me because I like that person or promoted this idea or that, whatever. I'm a human being too, you know, and I learn new things every day. So there's going to be things that, um, I change my mind about. You should always be changing your mind. If you don't change your mind, then you're not really learning much. If you're not constantly changing your mind about what you believe, you're not learning much. So let's leave it at that. Um, 
Uh, we're going to have some interesting guests coming up. I'm working on some cool stuff, some people that have never been on the show before, some people probably not many people have heard about but have some really cool um, takes. I'm working on getting this guy on who studies animal, you know, uh, drug use and pharmacology, um, you know, people into like ancient Greek psychedelic stuff, you know, we're, we're going to be working on some stuff here. So, um, as well as some faces that have been on before. Uh, but if anybody has any suggestions in terms of topics, guests, you know, of course I will reach out to anybody. If somebody's like, Hey, can you get this person, you know, depending on who it is, obviously. <laughs> like, obviously I'm not gonna have certain people on, uh, but um, if it's reasonable or it's somebody that we talk about regularly or is kind of adjacent to what we talk about, send me the thing. I'll, I'll, re I'll reach out to anybody. I don't really give a shit who they are. They could be the top person in their field and I'll reach out to them. I don't really care. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if there's a topic or whatever, I'm down. Um, and yeah, and, and then we'll just continue to keep doing what we're doing here. And then hopefully Maurice and I'll start on some sort of, uh, new project soon. So, and that's it. That's all I got. I'm alive. Um, the spider didn't kill me and I didn't get any superpowers either. I will say <laughs> the night that I got bit, I was playing my guitar. I'm like, Oh, I feel I'm just really shredding right now, <laughs> you know? And I was thinking like, oh, what if this spider bite gave me some sort of power? And three weeks later, it's like, I'm on antibiotics. I'm sweating my ass off. I'm like, I'm dying. So, you know, go figure. But um, that's about it. And I suppose, you know, as, as terms of what's going on out there in the world, let's just try hard to love one another and again i stand by what i said if your religion's telling you to kill people ee, maybe rethink that whole thing uh that sounds pretty stone age to me um anti-intellectual as well um so yeah i don't know what to say I, I i really wish the best for everybody out there um i know people affected by all this and i just i just hope that we can all come together peacefully. It's not looking good, but I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, there's only so much you can do. And, and if we all do our part and spread love and peace and all we can do is hope that that bleeds out into the rest. So, um, that's why I always end the shows. You know, we love everybody stay safe out there. I truly mean that. I, you know, we don't want anybody to have to go through anything crazy and we want people to learn and, you know, look, all the information we've ever put out here on the show, you know, we've gotten nice messages and stuff like that. But if you know something or can help somebody in any way or whatever, reach out, help that person, do what you can. So, but uh, let's wrap it up here. If you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do it is to click on the link tree link down below. Leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify. Um, like our YouTube channel or this video please subscribe um yeah we do all of our shows live on here um i'm trying to think what else we have a patreon check out our documentary as within so without from ufos to dmt it's free right now on youtube there is an extended director's cut on our patreon I'm trying to think what else and that's it um you know, like I said, going forward, some pretty cool stuff coming up here, some new stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, listen, I love everybody. Stay safe out there. I'm going to play the trailer to our documentary as we leave here. And uh, I'll catch everybody next time. Peace. I don't have to believe something's here. There's no question about that. They are not just from this planet, but based on the characteristics they're most often described having, that they're simply us from the future. It was um, the biggest aircraft I've ever seen in my entire life. It was semi-translucent, it seemed. And we see four orange orbs flying one after another, basically in formation. Um, I think in a way, you know, you could call a UFO 
a flying dream. Out of the cornfield, that seven foot tall, gray, menacing, communion looking alien or whatever you want to call it. Because it can be a multitude of things, of deities, of godlike creatures, of aliens. The reality that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis seems to be this very, very thin slice of something far larger and far more complex. As within, so without. From UFOs to DMT.